One of the things that I find so interesting, because I was talking to somebody this week, was when you look at Scripture and you look at the world, you see something that is just incredible. When we read Genesis 1, we begin in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And we understand that the theme there is that there is one who has created all that is around us. Who brought it into existence. But as you continue to read, by the way, somebody's alarm's going off in the back. So if your car is parked in the back, your alarm may be going off. Um, But if you continue to read, beginning in verse 2 of Genesis chapter 1, the focus is not simply on creation. That is there. But there's another focus, there's another aspect to that passage, and that is the idea of order. That God has given order to his creation. That he has designed it in a certain way and to function a certain way. And so the writer of Genesis talks about, Moses talks about the fact that there is light and darkness and they have their own realms. The fact that there is a celestial reality where there are suns and moons and stars and they each have their own purpose and their own realm and their own order. He talks about the fact that there are there is that which is the, 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 the water and the firmament and they are separate. They have a unique order, a unique purpose. He goes through and he talks about there are the animals that that fly in the air and swim in the water and walk upon the land. And each has a purpose or order or design in the midst of that creation. We understand that as God created, he created things in a particular order. And even though there was a celestial rebellion... And there was an earthly rebellion. That sense of order still exists. It may be marred. It may be damaged. We may see ways in which that order is bent because of those rebellions that have taken place. But we still see a God of order. That God has designed things a certain way. And that when his creation functions in a way that demonstrates that design, the result is harmony and contentment. And as humans, we we have a sense of fulfillment and purpose and meaning. This week, I heard a story that demonstrates what happens when you spurn God's general design. In fact, as I read this story, I wanted to title the story, It Was Inevitable. It happened in Australia. You may have seen the video of this. Don't worry, I won't show it. But in Australia, there was this little terrier. Tiny little dog, tiny little thing. I call them yap yaps. You know, irritating. Well, this particular dog named Pippa had a trick that she would do. And there were actually people that would come from miles around as a tourist attraction to see Pippa do what Pippa did. What Pippa did is every time this saltwater crocodile would crawl up out of the shore and crawl up onto the land, Pippa 
for an entire decade would, would run at that crocodile, barking and doing all of that, and drive the crocodile back into the water. Now, can we say that's kind of against God's design? When God designs a big animal with big mouth and big teeth, there's a purpose for the big mouth and the big teeth. And animals that big devour smaller animals. And smaller animals, when they're around something that big, run the other way. Many years ago, I was out on the marsh fishing, and I was with some folks that didn't fish very often. And as we were fishing and we're casting our lure, one of them, actually both of them that I was with, kept getting their lure caught up on the island and in the reeds. And I'd have to pull over, I'd have to step out of the boat, I'd have to grab the lure, I'd have to pull it loose, I'd have to step back in the boat, and then we would take off again. Well, we pulled up to this one little marshy island, and I stepped off the boat and I started reaching for the lure. And I heard, Hurroom! 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 You don't know what that is. I do. That's a big alligator saying, You're by my nest, and I don't like it. I understand God's order. And I said, I'm out of here. I jumped back in that boat and we took off and I never really saw her. It was her because it was by her nest. But I understand there was an order. Pippa didn't. Last week, the inevitable happened. The 11 foot, 220 pound crocodile as Pippa was going, suddenly went, that croc grabbed that little dog and said, after a decade, I've had enough. (laughs) And ate it. You know what's so interesting about that story? We expect it. That story doesn't surprise you. But you know what is really sad about that story is when it went out and it was all over social media and there was stories, there was an interesting response. The man who owned Pippa, his name was Mr. Hansen, said, you know, I don't blame the croc. The croc was just doing what crocs do. And poor Pippa, she just had it in her. She was going to chase that croc. And there was nothing I could do. And the internet exploded. And said, oh yes, there was. You could have trained that dog. You could have restrained that dog. You could have done something. Even though the dog didn't know its order in the universe, Mr. Hansen, you did. And it's very telling because he said, they asked him, are you going to get another dog? And he said, yes. And they said, are you going to let him chase crocodiles? He said, oh, no, I'm going to train him not to. When we come to Isaiah chapter 1, we're Pippa. 
Where the part of creation, or particular Israel at this time, is the part of creation that is unwilling to recognize the place that they play in the order that God has created. When you think about God, God has a physical order, a physical laws and principles that, that the universe runs on. And primarily it works, you know, pretty well. The, the fall caused some struggles, but generally it works. When I'm out riding my motorcycle and I'm on it and I'm going through the curves, I know there are certain laws, physical laws that I must follow. That the gyroscope of my tires creates a situation where I don't grab the the handlebars and try to turn them. Actually, I do the opposite. If I'm going right, I push right on my handlebar and I lean right. And there are physical laws that take over. I don't argue with the motorcycle. I don't say, I don't like that. It's what is. And so I respond to the order of the physical universe. But what God's word wants us to understand is that there are not just physical laws and a physical order to the universe. There is also a moral law and spiritual laws, a spiritual order, a moral order to the universe. And just like with the physical order, if I try to violate that, if I fight against it, if I say I don't believe in it, if I do any of those kinds of things, it doesn't matter. I will demonstrate eventually the legitimacy of that. If I'm going 100 miles an hour and I drive directly into a wall, I will demonstrate the reality of a physical order. And yet we are so surprised when as people or families or church or a nation here, Israel, that when we violate God's spiritual and moral order, that somehow there will be consequences that come about. As Isaiah is talking to this nation, he's saying to them as he draws all of creation together there in verse 2, and he says, come together, O heavens. Come together, O earth. Come together, creation. You that understand that there's a a physical order to the universe. There's a created order to the universe. And you as creation show a wisdom that says we live, we exist in conformity to what God has designed and created. I want you to come. And I want you to notice a nation a people who are more foolish than an animal because an ox understands who its owner is. And a donkey, what we consider one of the most stubborn animals, at least knows where the manger is and knows the source of its sustenance. And what Isaiah is going to say to this people is because you choose to live even more foolish than dumb animals. God's order will bring about its eventual consequences. 
It is the theme of Isaiah chapter 1 and 2 and 3 and 4 and 5. Two weeks ago, we looked at, I mean, last week and the week before, we looked at Isaiah chapter 6 because that's Isaiah's call. That's Isaiah saying, God called me to the ministry and he has worked in my life. But in chapter 1, as you kind of go back chronologically, God comes and says to Isaiah, go warn these people. That if they keep living in a way that violates the order of what I have designed and how I have made them, the consequences will fall. Now the whole book of Isaiah, as we've talked about, has this theme. God is in the process of creating trusting, obedient people willing to submit the outcome of their choices and lives to God's wisdom and sovereignty. We've said that the last several weeks. But I want to add this word, these phrases, this, this sentence. Actually, prepositional phrase. In order to serve as his representatives in the world. God always has a people. God always has a group of, of, of folks that he says, I want you to show the world what it means to live in the way that I've designed you to live, to live that way in your relationships, to live that way in your character, to live that way in your business, to live that way in your entertainment, to live that way in a way that demonstrates how I have designed you as your holy, sovereign, creative God. To demonstrate to the world that as we live in that way, there is a blessing, there is a contentment, there is a wholeness, there is a reason, there is a purpose for life. That's what I'm about, Israel. That's what I'm about, church. That's what I'm about, Christian. I am working in your life in order that you might be that representative of me to demonstrate to the world that when we live how God has designed us, the result is amazing. As you come to Isaiah's passage in this first chapter, God's word warns of the destructiveness of violating not his physical order. That's what I do on my motorcycle. But when we violate his moral or spiritual order, you end up like Israel. Now, as we look at that, we need to understand and to properly, uh, properly apply this warning. We must know to whom Isaiah is speaking. And he speaks of this nation in two ways. One, he calls them a nation. He calls them a people. A people who have covenanted with God and said, God, you have chosen us to be your representative, and we accept that. Back in Exodus, when God created the covenant with Israel, and he came down out of the mountain, and he proclaimed himself to be their God, and they proclaimed themselves to be his people, they were saying, God, we will sign the contract if you want. We will make the covenant with you that we will be your representatives. 
But not only does he speak of them as a nation and a people, but he also speaks of them as a family. We expect things in a rightfully functioning family. We we expect respect for all the members of the family, whether older or younger. We expect that, that elders will be responded to in a certain way. We expect gratitude in in the midst of those relationships. We expect intimacy in the midst of those relationships. And what do we call a family that isn't functioning that way? Dysfunctional. (laughs) There's a phrase I love. You know, my family was so dysfunctional, we put the fun in dysfunctional. Uh, That never happens. And in Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 4, it is the central verse in this whole section. God says, you're to be my nation, my people. You're my family. I've been a great father. Ah, woe, literally, in verse 4. Sinful nation. This nation that was supposed to represent me to this world, this A people loaded with guilt. A brood. I want to translate the word gaggle. In other words, there's a family sense to it now. When he says a a, a gaggle, a brood of evil doers. The children given to corruption. Israel, I've called you. You've agreed to be that nation that represents me. You've agreed to be part of my, my family that represents what we have as family values. But instead, there's sinfulness, guilt, and evil doing, and corruption. And why? Notice the next half of the verse. They have forsaken the Lord. They have spurned The Holy One, the one who is creator, designer, sovereign. They've said, the old Frank Sinatra song, I'm going to do it my way. Kind of like Pippa. I don't care if the alligator's 11 feet tall, long, and 220 pounds. I'm going to do it my way. It was inevitable. It's not that God is mean. It's not that God is up there saying, you're having fun. Stop it. God says, I know how I have made you. I know my plans for you. I know my purpose for your life. I know what brings you joy. I know what brings you significance. I know what brings you a sense of wholeness and completeness. I know what lives ought to be like. I've designed you that way. And like a good owner of a dog, like a sovereign God and his people, he comes and says, I want to tell you, you keep doing this. And the inevitable consequences are coming. Now for Israel, it was to lose the land. 
And over and over and over again, God says to Israel, Deuteronomy chapter 4, 24, Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19, Deuteronomy chapter 31, verses 28 through and on, chapter, chapter 32, verses 1 through 4. Listen, I've designed you this way, but if you don't live that way, this is the eventual consequence. You're going to lose the land. I won't stop making you my people. You're still my people. You're still my children. I love you. But keep living in a way as if I don't exist. It's not that I'm going to come along and whack you. It's simply that the consequences of those choices are going to work their way out. And what's so interesting is so often when we're involved in that and the consequences come, who do we get mad at? We get mad at God. And whether it's as an individual, whether it's a family, whether it's a nation, when we live in ways where we thumb our nose at God, when we spurn his holiness and his sovereignty, God says you're living in ways that are in opposition to the very way I have created you. And the result will be devastating. Now as Isaiah is speaking here in Isaiah chapter 1, he is addressing his representative nation, that, that chosen people. But the problem is, as he's describing this nation, some of those that are listening to Isaiah are good people. They're righteous people. They're, they believe in God and seeking to obey him. Some of them aren't. And yet God says, you know what? As a nation, if this is the way you function as a nation, God will bring, the, or not bring, but just allow the consequences to come. And so as we make our way through Isaiah, what we need to understand is there are different people that are being spoken to. As as we sit on a Sunday morning listening to Isaiah, we need to ask ourselves, which group am I in? What's the message Isaiah has for me as part of God's creation, sitting in a church or part of a church or part of a nation or part of a family? What's the message? And the first thing is that some... As they heard Isaiah's message, they were unbelievers. They rejected God. They said, there's no God, or, or the God we serve is, is Baal, or it's El, or it's the Ashtaroths, or it's something else. We just reject God. And all through Isaiah, the warning is this. Live as though God doesn't exist. And it will bring destruction in your life. That's not because God's mean. It's because it's the way he designed things. And so it becomes a message of warning and a call to repentance. There are some that hear the message of Isaiah who are unbelievers but are pretending to walk as though they were followers of God. This is sort of the cultural Christianity we see often in our communities. We speak as though we believe, but we live as though we're atheists. 
And the message God wants to give is just looking good on the outside is not enough. Jesus said it this way. You whited sepulchers. On the outside, you're all whitewashed and clean. But on the inside, you're corrupt and decaying. God says, just looking good so that the folks at church think you're doing really well isn't enough. As Isaiah works through his book and the message we're going to have is this, that some are true believers, but they're not walking with God. They really do believe in God. They, they really do have faith in God. They, they really do believe in God's holiness and God's purpose, but they choose to disobey. God says, you're my children. You're my nation. But if I need to, I will allow the discipline that is necessary that comes as a result of the way you are living to come into your life just to teach you. I've told you about our boxer, Golda. Down in Louisiana, fireworks were allowed all the time. And there were these one particular fireworks, they were spinners. You lit them and they would spin and shoot. My boxer would run up and go towards them. And Cindy said, don't let her do that. She's going to get hurt. And my response was, she'll only do it once. She would run up and grab these things and put it in her mouth. And you'd see these sparks going on. She didn't just do it once. (laughs) And I thought, you dumb dog. You're a brick. (laughs) Do you know who else is a dumb dog? I believe. And finally, we would have to lock her in the house. As she would stand by the patio door going, let me out, let me out, let me out. That's what she said. I, I could translate it. But this is the hardest one of all. You ready? Some are true believers walking with God. But living in a nation of corruption. And for them, God was saying, Beloved, it's going to get rough. But trust me, I will be with you. And there is a purpose. God is speaking to a nation that overall generally has rebelled against him. And God says, consequences are about to fall. Now, the consequences are different than what we might experience today. He tells them, and particularly in verse 7, your country is desolate. Your cities burned with fire. Your fields are being stripped by foreigners right before you. They're being laid waste and overthrown by dangers. The daughter of Zion, Jerusalem, is left like a shelter in a vineyard, like an abandoned shack. Like a little shack in the middle of a a melon field after the harvest. 
Just abandoned. And unless the Lord had allowed a few to survive, unless God shows grace, you will be utterly destroyed because of your foolishness, like Sodom and Gomorrah. God's word is simply this. Because of rampant national corruption and rebellion, the warning of coming consequence is to the entire nation. Now, I am not getting political here because Isaiah was written to Jerusalem, a people who were declared a covenant nation, a covenant people to God. That is not our country. But I will tell you this. When an individual, a family, a church, a nation lives in rebellion to God's moral order, there will be consequences. And when God calls forth his repentance, when was the last time you repented for being a part of this nation? Even though you may be one of the righteous seeking to live in obedience. Isaiah says, I'm a man of unclean lips. Where? Among a people of unclean lips. When was the last time you were broken for the violence taking place in our inner city? When was the last time you were broken for the racism that we see around us? When was the last time you were broken for the death of the unborn child taking place in the abortion clinics? When was the last time you were broken for the injustices that take place within our, our judicial system? Say, God, I'm a part of that nation. But God, show me also where I fail. Because you see, to properly apply God's warning, we must acknowledge he's speaking to me. Do you remember those four types of people? I am they. There are times in my life I live as though God doesn't even exist. I choose to live in ways, and not necessarily on purpose, but just as the result of the sinfulness that exists within me. And I I live in selfishness and self-centeredness and lack of faith and lack of trust. And God says, child, you got to deal with it. Sometimes I live as one who in my words, oh, I can sing those choruses. But in my life, it looks so good on the outside. But I know the corruption inside. Sometimes I do believe and I have faith but I'm struggling with my obedience. God says, come in repentance, child, and allow me to do my work. And sometimes I am living righteously. I am living in faith. But the consequences of the celestial, the earthly, the rebellion of others, falls upon me and God says I have a purpose in your life to accomplish something beyond what you can believe even in the midst of righteously suffering 
Isaiah says, that's what God did to me in Isaiah chapter 6. That's why we looked at that first. There's an old spiritual song that goes, it's me, it's me, O Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Not my mother, not my father, but it's me, O Lord. Not my sister, not my brother, but it's me. Isaiah is a book that says, yes, before we can speak to the nation, before we can speak to other families, before we have to speak, we are in a place to speak to other people, we say, God, first speak to me. God, I will look at the places where my consequences of my rebellion have beaten my head and beaten my chest and beaten my legs, even the soles of my feet. Father, wake me up. And then to say like Jeremiah, search me, O God. See if there be any, any, any wicked way in me. And allow your spirit to do his work. Allow the circumstances to come that require my faith and dependence and and understanding to grow. Because God, I long to be that person you've called me to be. Now all of that begins with faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Savior. That's where it begins. That's where the relationship starts. That's where I say, God, I accept your covenant. Thank you for your your love, for your grace, for your forgiveness. And thank you for making me a part of your work, of your kingdom. Now, Lord, work in me in ways that I can demonstrate that as an individual, as a family, as a church. Yes, even as a nation. We choose to live in a a way that represents God's holiness, his sovereignty, his order in all that we do. And I know this week, as I did last week, and I will do the week after that, I will need to come to the Lord and say, God, show me those areas in my life. Whatever it takes, I want to be best representative of you I can possibly be. That's the work that God is doing in Isaiah. And you know where he begins? We'll look at this next week. He begins with our worship and asks the question, how's your worship? Father, thank you for the example that we see here in Isaiah. Father, I pray that you would Allow your spirit to work in our hearts. Father, if we don't have a relationship with you, you you love us. You call us to that relationship. You long to, to provide that salvation and eternally a relationship with you. And Lord, if there's someone here that's not certain, I ask that you would have them come and talk to me and someone else how they might know that. Father, remind us as those who do follow you to, that you are holy. You are sovereign. Father, you're not mean and angry. Father, you you have an order that you call us to live in submission to. Yes, for your glory. Yes, for your kingdom. But also that we may know the fullness and completeness 
that is ours in our relationship with you. Motivate us with that. And we ask it in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.